this is the Roaring Elfin podcast and we're back with a news episode and not just any news episode because Dave, and I do say Dave, is going to predict the future today. He's going to tell you all the good things that are going to happen next year, aren't you? Uh, well, I think we're going to talk about someone else's predictions and I just think some to... of it we're going to laugh and some of it we're <laughs> going to cry and some of it we're just going to go, huh? But in the but end, it still takes fault, right? It's not on me. This, this is your <laughs> article. You found this article, so it's all on you. Fair just throwing under the bus Fair here. Enough. No problem. No pressure. All right. Well, in that case, let's let's just get straight into it. Um, so, found this uh, this article on on Tech Republic uh, from Jack Wallen. Uh, we've covered a number of his articles uh, through the years. And with this one, he's making some rather bold uh, prognostications and um, as to what he believes will be a banner year for open source in 2021. Yeah, specifically Linux, right? He's, uh, I mean, it says so here, Linux. Uh, I, I do like the little <laughs> Lego minifig here. He, <laughs> he doesn't see any good things He doesn't look very calm. <laughs> Like, he is not looking calm and collected, and uh, he does not look like all his headaches have been answered. So, yeah. Anyway, let's go down. And we're just going to yeah. go over the topics here. We're not going to go in-depth on the whole yeah. article and just... I mean, <clears throat> it, to be honest, it's hard to predict stuff, but everything's going on in the world. Any prediction you're going to make is going to be outdated by next week, I think. So it's very brave of this person to do this. Let's get that out. Of, uh, and we'll just take the topics and pretty much start talking around them, I guess. So number one, yep. Kubernetes simplified. So for those that are thinking, what's this Kubernetes thing? All like two of you have just, erupt, uh, just emerged from underneath your rocks. Um, or from out of your caves, uh, you can go ahead and listen to our entire episode on uh, the history of Kubernetes and, and microservices. But for those of you that are fully up to speed and, and listen to our, our glorious drivel on that, um, you will have seen a continual sort of um, path through that journey, which is people attempting to try and make things simpler throughout and trying to, like, some new exciting technology gets deployed or designed or developed, and, dear God, it's difficult to work with, and how do we make this, um, you know, easier for the masses and all these kind of things. And Kubernetes is no different in that respect. And uh, Jack's, Jack's comments are really that uh, he believes that there will be a web or client-based tool that will make Kubernetes management a true point-and-click affair. Mm, well, I, I hope not, because it's supposed to be auto-healing and auto-generating without me clicking on stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that there's, I think that there's different there's different kind of pieces of this. I think mm. you could make the argument that in that case the future is already here. Yeah, you just need to go to a cloud provider, like or use Rancher. Yeah, well, yeah, I think there's, so quite whether he's saying, um, whether he's saying like that simplified experience, that kind of initial bootstrapping, but for people that want to run their own, 
or whether he's saying that the the, the ability to run this you know in the cloud is going to get even simpler um, um i don't know for me i mean we talked about this when we did the uh, saga on uh, earlier episodes during the kubecon era and i think we i kind of made a, f- a statement there as well that the technological innovations in Kubernetes were probably going to be taking a bit of a, a little bit of a backseat in favor of making mm. what they have more user friendly, and specifically around integration with infrastructure, because at the moment it's fairly easy to the, to bootstrap a Kubernetes environment and have containers spinning on your cluster. That takes you a couple of hours at most. Read a couple of books, or books, <laughs> a couple of web pages, and you're up and running. So. Going from there to a point and click a fair for that part, that's uh, whatever. The thing yeah. is, when you get into actual deployments, when you have to talk, think about persistent storage claims, because my cluster has stateful compute to data connections. And if a container gets restarted, it should kind of reattach itself to the original data blob. Hmm. Now you're getting to stuff that's harder to do. And also, mm-hmm. of course, I want my Active Directory or LDAP um, um, uh, hierarchy automatically integrated in the secrets database of Kubernetes. Ooh, now it gets harder again. And then you start putting in the layered applications. I want these applications on Kubernetes to be application aware to the operator stuff. And it gets harder. And that's where the complexity comes from. And getting that into a web-based point-and-click affair is something, one, I don't want. I want my monitoring to be a point-and-click web affair, and that's already here. That's mm-hmm. totally the way you do it these days. But deploying, yep. maintaining this stuff, you're so close to the infrastructure layer. Even the managed services of the clouds, they'll get you that first step as a point-and-click to get you the environment to deploy your stuff. But then, inevitably, CLI is going to be king for a long time to come and has a lot of room to get simplified. So I'm yeah, not saying it yeah. won't get simpler. I'm just saying that point and click is not always simpler, to be honest. And we actually have a, another article to talk about that. Indeed, indeed. But before we get to that, moving on, uh, I think this is probably his his safest and softest uh, bet which is proprietary solutions get the boot. Um, okay, you first. I, I mean, so in my opinion, I, you know, I, I've been at a variety of open source organizations through a variety of interesting um, you know, financial global crises of varying magnitudes over the years. Um, uh, I think I've probably told this story on the podcast before, but I was... I was at Red Hat during, you know, what what at the time had been the the largest kind of global financial recession uh, to date. Um, during kind of the, I guess the sort of two thousand eight two thousand nine period, and within you know a year or two of that, Red Hat became the I think within probably within two years of that Red Hat became the first billion dollar open source organization. You know the 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 financial crisis actually accelerated red hat's growth mm-hmm. and this was this was during the time when it was you know unix to linux migrations were were still a thing this was the time when you know the large proprietary uh, middleware uh, platforms were being torn out and replaced by you know jboss open source and things like that were were happening across 
every industry vertical, um, you know, every size of business, you know, small, medium, and large. And I, I say I've been through a number of different, differing scales of crises, both before and since then. And open source solutions typically do very well during you know cases of crisis. It's just budgets shrink, people can't just carry on doing the same thing that they've always been doing. It's just not possible anymore. And so something's got to give, something's got to change. And it's not about going for a, a cheaper solution as such. It's about trying to deliver the same, you know, you've got, you have to make a change. It's kind of funny enough, it's a similar sort of situation that we were talking about with our, our you know, previous news episode uh, which is there's a catalyst, there's a compelling event, there's something happening that you just can't, you know, you can't carry on doing what you're doing. You need to make a change. And in a lot of cases, open source ends up being that change. And they not they don't just replace like for like, but they, you know, significantly improve their situation um, from where they were beforehand. So, yeah, I th- I think this this will this will definitely hold true for a lot of people and a lot of organizations. Yeah, I think you're right that shifting to open source for monetary reasons is always a bad choice. It shouldn't be the price. It should be a nice added little bonus. Bonus. But yeah. the main advantage for open source is the fact that it's built in a distributed manner and it integrates a lot easier. And that mm-hmm. has, apart from being potentially cheaper, the added effect that you get away from the monoliths Instead of when yeah. you do the next five-year plan and we're going to replace our Oracle by SAP, which means multi-billion dollar investment and everything goes away and gets replaced, open source mentality, the whole idea behind it, allows you to just pick little pieces of the of the uh, environment of applications you have. And you shouldn't have too many either. Keep it, Try to keep it simple, but still it's a microservices yeah. organization at that point. And you can just upgrade the things where it makes sense without having to do the forklift upgrade of everything at the same time, which is hugely expensive. And by the time it's finished, you're already beginning the next one. And by doing it more iteratively, more point uh, solution-y, it's, that makes the biggest difference for open source, I think. Now, the thing I disagree with him is I don't think this is a prediction. I think proprietary solutions have been given the boot more or less already. There's still a lot of stragglers out there. I can agree to that one. But I don't think this is a new movement. I think this is coming on for multiple years. And I'm actually expecting the curve to kind of stagnate. We've got the exponential adoption, let's say. And it's going to flatten out now because most of the long-hanging fruit has long been uh, picked the slow adopters are now doing it also and now it's just i'd say the stragglers that are still need to go through it mm. or don't have a chance not don't have the choice to do it when I mean, some people need propriety i guess i don't know that i so maybe very very long term like so first of all i agree with the first part you said that yes this is you're absolutely right and the, the fact that this is not not really a prediction. That's why I said it was the softest possible one because mm. you're absolutely right. Like this, yeah. this proprietary solution migration has been going up. Well, I, I talked about my experiences many, many years ago, um, and that wasn't even the the start of the journey. But yes, that you're right. That's absolutely the case. And he's he's just predicting the next uptick of that, which I again I like agree with for all the reasons we've both just talked about. Now, the question of whether or not this will eventually slow down, I think, yes, you're probably right. There will be an eventual like 
rounding off of the curve. But I, I think we're a long way away from that at the moment. Like I, if I think about the the way that open source has you know evolved in the enterprise space, you know, it started off with your OS, and then it was your application platforms, and and then it was your virtualization platforms, and then it was um, you know, and then it, it it started to just like spread everywhere like everything potentially within an, an enterprise could could be open source you know there, there was almost no limit to it uh, but the but the limits have continued to to grow mm-hmm. and and develop like we've seen you know, big data platforms and all sorts of things that you know have, have are primarily driven i would say by by open source in a lot of situations um machine learning artificial mm-hmm. intelligence so much of that is is open source I, I guess yeah maybe I'm talking myself around to your your <laughs> point of view but I think what I was thinking initially was that um, I think the boundaries keep moving yeah. and, and and expanding out and that there is more and more that open source can do and therefore there's there's no limit to it but I think as I talk through this, and as I rubber duck this whole kind of <laughs> conversation, I think what I'm actually coming around to is like the it's not that open source will will level off in terms of the proprietary systems that it will replace. It's actually that proprietary will will just kind of continue to descend and descend like the I mean potentially. Will there be any proprietary solutions in the in the distant future? Will everything be open source? No. Probably not. Probably There's always not. going to be some but, reason that it needs to be proprietary. Yeah. Because I mean, uh, could you imagine a Tesla car running on open source stuff that you can download from GitHub? That needs to go through that many regulated regulatory stuff. I mean, it can be based on open source, but there will always be a proprietary part there, just because they need the stamp of approvals from you're allowed to drive this thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's. it's but it's yeah, never going to be all. Come around. It's a logarithmic yeah, curve. Yeah, it's never. It, it's it's yeah. infinity will get flat, so it, it'll never be totally flat yeah. because it'll always up a little bit. But I think we definitely, if you have the logarithmic curve in in in, in view, we're over the the the, the hump. Let's say we're yeah, not. Yeah. This is established now. This is what is going to happen. Everybody knows it. It's just waiting when your your turn is to join the. The, the great new reality, the, the the free haven of open source. Wow. Indeed, indeed. We had John Murdoch on well, a couple of a couple of months ago, so it's still the glow is still here. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, John. All right. Well, let's 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 shift from uh, from proprietary solutions getting the boot to fog computing. Yeah, that was a new tell, one for tell me. Us. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad it's not just you. I read this and I was like, really, fog computing. I do, I, I do get it, and I, it is actually a term that I think about it. I have seen before, but it's definitely not prevalent yet. Like it's it's probably the next. Oh god, it's probably the next hype wave, isn't it? Fog oh, computing. Oh, Although god. it doesn't have a good ring to it. It doesn't sound like money. So. No, no, no. I think some some more branding exercises are needed here. 
the whole the whole thing about the fog is the, it's the combination of the edge computing, which at a point was hype. Everybody's, everybody's got to go to the edge. And then it kind of figured out that it doesn't really work that way. So we can't really pull it back to the central data center. So let's do it in the middle somewhere. And now we're in this kind of yeah morass of fogginess, I guess. I don't think that's the end of it yet. So um, now his prediction is that fog computing will be a big buzzword. And I can agree to that. It has to come fog or whatever the name becomes. The mm. concept will be a buzz thing next year. I wouldn't be surprised if that because a couple of big cloud providers are starting to talk that way as well. But it's not something that's really defined yet because you have the edge, you have your central location, and you have all the space in between. Where is the sweet spot? There isn't one. Depending on your use case, you're going to be there, 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 even there or there. And basically, mm. and by the way, if you're looking, if you're looking, if you're listening to the MP3 here, you didn't see my magical hand waving for that. Uh, Makes for great radio, by the way. Well done. But yeah, at, I mean, if it replaces that uh, blockchain thing, I guess I'll be happy. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's move on to the next prediction, which is I thought big that was data. the softest one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. I don't know that that, no, because I, I think of a soft one as being like, that, of course that's going to happen. Like, don't be yeah. daft. Whereas this one's just weak, which is different. <laughs> anyway, um, cool. big data gets even bigger. Uh, yes, I guess. Um, I, I can absolutely, like, big data has just become data now. Like, it, yes it's technically big but for the most part most organizations are just like yeah it's just it's just data now yes it's big but we don't like we don't really think about it it's just like we've got a way of dealing with it and we get on with it so yeah. there's le there's less mysticism around the the world of big data than the, what it was like let, five years ago when we started this let me skew this a little bit then for you the Go number of v's in big data with it will ever increase Yes, there we go. I think, did you? So um, I I did a, a you cheated a on me podcast. I did for a, um, a partner organization, and the the host asked me some questions about about the world of big data, and I, I it was it was funny because I knew the question was coming, um, and so I I done a you know, a little bit of a refresh and a bit of poking around, and I found. I don't remember what the number was, but there was like the the eight or nine Vs of big data, I think. And it's like, oh God, it's, it, it really, and it's not like any of them were a stretch. Like they were all perfectly like feasible and reasonable. Let's uh, call them elastic. To... They, were, they were stretchy. They were a bit, I mean, the, the later ones, I, I could feel the marketing in them very hard. I'm not going to repeat them because I don't want to spread the, the Vs. <laughs> But, yes, mm. yes. So I, I, I think that is true. I think there will always be more Vs to add. <laughs> um, what what I, I struggle with on this is the, the part of his prediction is that Sousa will be at the head of this uh, yeah. big data acceleration because they, they adopted Rancher Labs. And I, oh. I don't want to... I don't want to disparage Rancher Labs. I think they've done like some amazing work, but I don't. 
I mean, yes, uh, Jan is highlighting, in, for those of you that are following along, he's highlighting the fact that Sousa is the de facto standard for, for SAP HANA rollouts. Uh, like, so? <laughs> I mean, again, I, I don't want to disparage those that love SAP HANA, but, awesome. you know, I, yes, it's out there. Yes, there's lots of people using it. But it's not... It's not all-consuming. Like, if you asked how many people in the big data space are using SAP HANA as part of the ecosystem, I'm willing to bet it's, what, less than 10%, I think is a fairly safe bet. That's no um, probably even lower than that. Just just from the, the organizations I've talked to over the years, and the yes, I've talked to organizations that are using it, but I've talked to significantly more organizations that are, not using it and have no interest in it. So, and and like Rancher Labs, <sighs> Rancher isn't isn't yeah. isn't a big data thing. It's a big computing. It's a container platform yeah. orchestration abstraction layer. Not sure how to pronounce it these days. It's got nothing to do with it. I mean, this actually made me look up the person because I didn't know uh, the person to see if he was working for mm. SUSE, if this was kind of some hidden uh, marketing ploy of him. But I couldn't really find that so i'm not sure if he no. is working or not but yeah it was a bit okay yes so i mean yeah. it's a bold I, prediction it, it is a bold prediction i think it's so if we talk we've talked about soft predictions we've talked about weak predictions i think this is a weird prediction like yeah. i just i can't i can't join the dots on this one anyway yeah, let's move on move on um and this is the this is the inter <laughs> well I mean these these next two really are are both like entertaining heartbreaking That's bold. That's bold. um <laughs> like all of the above um I think we can surely we can just encapsulate both of these things together so the yeah. first one is Linux begins enterprise desktop rollouts and the second one is Linux on the home desktop will start to gain serious traction serious yes, traction yes ladies and serious let's, traction let's, Less, ladies and gentlemen, 2021, year of the Linux desktop. Again. <laughs> I've just called it, and therefore, it will never happen. Um, oh, dear. It's, no. I, I think there are lots of, there are lots of interesting things happening um, around this. Like, I, if you look at things like, um, you know, Steam uh, supporting Linux now, uh, quote unquote supporting, you know, depending on your view of the world, and you know, game compatibility be on Linux via things like Steam and the technologies that they plug in to allow you to to run um, games like that is a thing. Like it definitely is a movement. Like it wasn't done for altruistic reasons though. It was done because they want to make sure that they can run things as efficiently as possible in things like a a cloud streaming platform, for example, yeah. um, and that like it running on a Linux desktop is a a byproduct. So don't like don't get confused with with what's happening here. It's not that they're expecting a huge number of Linux desktop users to suddenly, you know, go go head on into Steam and be be the yeah. the, the dominant purchasing player. But There's there also is a big a... difference between it can be done and it's a huge mass adoption of the potential of yeah. it can be done. And that's where yeah. it breaks down for me. Yeah. And I I, I, I love Linux on the desktop. I'm, I've been, 
I've been using Linux on the desktop for a very, very long time. I still am today. I uh, had a, a, a my my time at uh, Hortonworks and Cloudera. I was on a on a Mac for the first time in um, during my time there as as my work machine. It was fine, but I didn't love it, and yeah, and I'm now back to Linux on the desktop as well, and back to loving it. So. It's all, I don't know. I'm weird. <laughs> uh, true. But it's all about selecting <laughs> the best tool for the job. I mean, I've got my Mac laptop from uh, work. I've got my Windows desktop for my daily driver. And I've got my two Linux servers there for anything that is more than browsing the web and uh, mm. reading PowerPoint uh, presentations. Basically, use what it's good for and not, I mean, Steam is built, just to take your example further on, it's built for Windows. It'll always be run run better on Windows than anywhere else. Up yep. until the point that the year of the Linux desktop actually arrives. <laughs> but that's never going to happen because there is, the, the, the gravitas of usage of the Linux environment is not reading Word documents or building PowerPoint presentations. The people who do that aren't the people that even though Linux exists, although they probably know Linux exists these days because the company does use it. And that's another mm. thing. I mean, Linux begins enterprise desktop rollouts. That's been there for a while already. That has been there for some, again, for some users in an organization, Linux is the best tool. A lot of developers use uh, Linux desktops because they like the VI mm. stuff. If they deploy, if they work in Java application applications, it's one of the better solutions to do that stuff. So it's not new. But if he means that the uh, CEO's uh, assistant is going to start working on a Linux desktop, well, maybe if he works for uh, Red Hat. <laughs> but I yeah. wouldn't really go very broad on that. Well, even even Red Hat uh, has, uh, there's a lot of Mac usage there nowadays. Uh, very different to when I was there. Uh, but uh, one thing I will call out, because I think they do not get enough uh, renown is um, in the article he talks about like Linux enterprises, Linux enterprise desktop rollouts. And he calls out the the two big players, Lenovo and Dell, for obvious reasons. But one other one that he calls out is System seventy six, and I I really admire System seventy six. I had the chance to uh, to work with them in a professional capacity, and I I cannot say enough nice things about them as an organisation that um, that sort of you know, really, truly believes in open source. Um, they produce some very nice hardware, all of which is is running Linux. They've even developed um, like their own uh, desktop interface and oh, they've got called Pop, Pop OS. Okay. That's where I know the um, And like they're just a really nice bunch of, of people with some great products, really well engineered. And they even go that extra mile of you know, developing open firmware. So you can actually go to the GitHub repo. You can take a look at the, the firmware for your device as well. You can modify it. You can flash new versions of it up. Like it's, they're, a, they're a wonderful organization. I wish them all the success. And I, I hope that they are part of this. But uh, realistically, I, I'm not sure that I really believe that... 2021 will be the year of, of Linux on the desktop. But uh, there we go. Uh, just so everybody knows, uh, because we're on YouTube now, we have to say this, we are not being sponsored by System76 oh, yeah. at all. We didn't get any money to say this. It's just Dave talking <laughs> about his own 
background uh, experience, Very right? We're not. Very this is true. not a paid advertisement. So we don't get any paid advertisement <laughs> <laughs> at all. So this is just uh, informative. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Just my my opinions and my experiences. So yeah, that's uh, that's our friend, uh, our fabulous friend Jack, and his predictions for for twenty twenty one. I'd love the the audience's comments on this <laughs> and your predictions. Uh, let us know what you think. But uh, yeah, anything else on on prediction side of things, Jan? Uh, no, I was just thinking if there's anything I would like to add to the list. But as I said earlier, it's such a volatile period at the moment that, and of course, we're also recording this before it goes live. That's just how physics yep. works. <laughs> and, <laughs> and time. Don't forget time. Uh, well, time is physics. <laughs> physics is time. So it's the same thing. That's that's easy. So uh, the unified theory of strings and whatever black holes strings and 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 sticky back plastic the unified theory of that yeah no okay no, um, the one thing i'm right, missing in this list though is cloud he hasn't anything that really touches upon cloud and i do think cloud will it's, it's definitely not relent it'll be even no, more cloud oh, he does he has fog but i think it's going to be more cloud than fog fair enough all right let's get on to our our last article uh, for the uh, for the episode let's talk about Terminals, yay! I had to reread the title twice. I mean, terminal velocity, vitality. Sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that's the play on words he's doing there. I believe so. I believe so. I I love this article for lots of different reasons. Like the even the like the very first like intro to it. Uh, Douglas, ever since Douglas Engelbart flipped over a trackball and discovered a mouse. Like that's just amazing. He should clean his desk more it. often. Yeah, he should. He should. I think what he actually means is he discovered the concept of a mouse. Um, but it, it's like, this is obviously it's not talking about uh, um, about the uh, about things ending. It's about the uh, the terminal interface and the 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 fact that. Despite the fact that sort of computers really, you know, started off, um, well, not they didn't start off with with this kind of interface. Let's face it, they started off with, you know, glowing tubes and you know, punch cards, and before that, you know, cogs and all sorts. But um, the the terminal interface is an interface that for for computers that've been around for a very long time. But exactly as you were saying earlier, it's still incredibly relevant today it's it's had amazing staying power yeah i i need the introduction what kind of hit me there is he said our interactions with computers have shifted from linguistics to hieroglyphics we're actually going backwards <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh, interesting but yeah i mean yeah it's so much faster just type a command and do this especially in the guis that have a tendency to require to change every release to make sure that you have a reason to buy it. So let's put this button on the left instead of the right. Remove this good old control panel. Yes, Microsoft is removing the control panel in the next version of Windows even more. Why change stuff? I mean, I know where it is. I can blindly go control panel, click, click, add a user, whatever. 
find devices. Now we have to go to the newfangled stuff. It takes more time. It's not useful. And that's actually coming back to your point about uh, Apple, Macs. That's why I don't like Macs that much. When I use a Mac, first I get to open a terminal window and I don't care about Mac OS. And I just hate the limitations <laughs> of BSD because I want to have the Linux freedom. Yeah. It, it, I, I just, I don't know. I, I love so much about this, as I said, like things like there's a, there's a section in here that's talking about the efficiency of like the tunnels always focused on efficiency. Um, and it's talking about back in 1971, when you were looking at, you know, uh, 110 board, you know, modem connections, you know, shortening the word copy to the command CP and the, the command list to LS. There you go. You've just doubled your efficiency. Congratulations. Um, Hey, every bit was a penny. <laughs> like just it, it, it really does make a huge difference. But what it, it, what that blends into, and the, it's been like the the Unix philosophy in many ways is having lots of small individual commands that themselves are powerful, but when you use them together, like they they can do amazing and even more complicated things it's so the microservices always, os yeah exactly microservices at an os level <laughs> uh but it it sort of you know the the article continues to talk about um about bash and the the history and how that works and like there's there are a number of things that i know i could automate but i do them so infrequently that actually pulling up a command from my history and like repeating it like three times with a couple of different arguments is just, it's so easy. I barely even think about it. And I love that about the, the shell and the terminal interface. Uh, it's, it's sort of one of those things that, uh, you know, I am, I, I regularly mention whenever the topic comes up, I'm a terrible developer. I'm a, you know, I, I can read code. I can hack it other people's code if I'm given a bit of guidance and uh, you know I can I can knock together a bash script here or there but I'm, I'm still awful at it I continue to be awful at it and I try to avoid it whenever possible but I do I I really do appreciate the amazing things that people are able to do with just you know a handful of lines of, of bash and it's or any shell like it's and it's still pretty readable um for the most part so and very important for me is it it works across that modem because even though the baud rates have gone up a bit starting up a x windows uh, terminal session or even worse a remote desktop windows session on a remote computer to work on it that's yeah. a pain in the bee I don't want to do that. Just an SSH and I can start getting my history up and down. That works so much more easy. Now, I do agree that with IPMI having their web interfaces and getting mm. that made sense. But again, with the ultimate hope of achieving that remote console window. Because <laughs> again, the, the yep. screenshot he had in his article here, this is the best use of a <laughs> GUI. Just be able to have multiple <laughs> bash shells side by side. Yep. And if you look at a lot of people that are working on a technology level, this is what the desktop looks like. Yeah. That and Steve. Yeah. I, 
I, I, I love, um, I love tiling window managers, but I cannot quite make the, I, I haven't quite been able to make the switch. I, they, I'm still a little bit too stuck in the, in the land of the GUI and, and the drag and drop and the, and that side of things. My, my screen does look a lot like that in, in certain, um, like viewports or desktops, whatever you want to call them. Um, but I also, you know, have a, a similar layout with that I, I like to drag and drop around depending on what I'm doing at any given time. So that's the, the one I, thing that's I, missing on the desktop there is a browser because you need a source to cut and paste from. <laughs> I'm sure that's on his other his, uh, his, his other viewport, or his other desktop, or his other work top, worktop. But uh, yeah, it, it's uh, I I think this um, this article has uh, a, a little bit for everything for everybody, and uh, I I can't I just can't see the the command line going away anytime soon. Like I, I hope not. Despite the fact that we we sort of continue to, as you were saying earlier, like simplify things and and kind of um get to the point where things are more and more um easy for organizations and people to consume there there will still be that sort of that connection that you want to understand something you want to go you want to dig into something a little bit deeper you want to understand what's going on you want to you know run things you want to do things in a way that that the terminal just makes it easy to do again proper tool for the proper job if you're agree want to put a kiosk somewhere to people to buy a train ticket iconography is great for that it's multi-language <laughs> it's accessible big buttons you can punch great if you're a hacker or a developer or a devils engineer or a machine learning engineer trying to write a script I mean, there, there are these drag and drop script building things mm, where you can drag mm, a for mm. next loop and then drag your Ugh, God, no, <laughs> just no, yep. just no, just no. Yeah, I'm, I'm now, I, I now can't get the idea out of my mind of like being at a train station and being like all these ticket machines that have the ordinary like screens on where you like pick where you're going from and pick where you're going through and then just one with like a, a full keyboard and like a flashing command prompt that you just got to go to and like a bit like an adventure game you've got to type help and like it, it prints out the the commands that you can okay uh order ticket from colon uh they're like the, the short code like you know source and destination station um and then you know put a flag in for whether you're uh you know the super saver ticket or <laughs> and then hit return and then you just put your put your credit card in or tap your card against it and hope that you got all the flags correct <laughs> yeah and just don't go sit anywhere because you're so unsure you don't want to get a fine so you just stand up straight anyway yep <sighs> I, 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 I love that idea I think that would be awesome <laughs> final shout out for me on this article is screen it's the yes. nobody talks about screen i'm sure everybody uses it if you don't know screen learn it love it enjoy it it's made a huge difference in my life <laughs> actually i've replaced on almost all of my servers the login shell by the screen command really yeah okay that makes 
quite often I'm doing something on a remote service and for some reason connection gets lost. And if you were doing mm. an RPM install at that point, yeah, you're kind of in, in the deep shit at that point. <laughs> Having that screen thing running. And I know if mm. I do it manually, I'll forget it. <laughs> so, so just having yeah. that in my login cell, I just connect again and it's still going. <laughs> Love yeah. that command. So, so for those that are looking into this for the first time, the other one that I see a lot is Tmux. Uh, in fact, I would probably say I see Tmux more more nowadays than than I see screen. Uh, but yeah, both both of them amazing um, time savers, life savers. Uh, if you spend time on the console, connected remotely to anything, take a look at either or both of them and decide what's best for you. But yeah. Yeah, Tmux is too complicated. It's uh, I'm, I'm too simple for Tmux. Screen is all yeah, I see. Control A. Tmux is for power D. users, yeah. which is why I'm also a screen user. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic! All right. Well, with that, unless there's anything else from you, uh, nope. I've got my shout out for screen, and it was a glorious moment. Just yeah, looking back at the good old bash shell, the born again shell. It should be religion for Fair that. Enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, in that case, then realistically, that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really does help. Uh, we are on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can comment even. Uh, you can ring the notification bell and you can do all the YouTube things. As Jan often says, it really does make me happy. So please do. Um, you can also go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag and you can send your feedback if you like some old school email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is... Uh, let's see. I could be Bash Dave, but that sounds quite quite. So Dave violent. bashing. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would. <laughs> and my name is. I've been joining already, Jon, so I don't have to do anything more. <laughs> and we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>